We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast. Up the Duff is a podcast for fertility seekers and those who are curious about procreation. Join us as we speak to experts and hear from real people on their fertility journeys. We ask the hard questions and help them navigate to solutions on the sometimes bumpy road that is to parenthood. This episode, we chat to Kira Rumble. Kira is the founder of Habitual Beauty, Crumbled Foods, and her latest venture, Mini and Me. My whole world was consumed by falling pregnant and by, you know, ovulation and all of that sort of stuff for two and a half years. And it's it's just crazy as I look back because it was literally all I could fixate on. Just a heads up, we do discuss miscarriage, so do take care when listening. Kira has had quite the journey to becoming a parent. She required, after a very long journey of troubleshooting IVF, to conceive both Hunter and Goldie. And what a journey it was. I'm still not falling pregnant and I'm in chronic pain. We also chat to her about her battle with hyperemesis gravidarum and coming to terms with pregnancy guilt. Vomiting up blood by the end of it, I broke ribs from vomiting so much. Now, if you're in need of a bit of a pep talk and inspiration and motivation to advocate for yourself, then I think you're going to love this episode. It's exactly what you need. Welcome, Kira. Thanks so much for joining us on the Up the Duff podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to chat to you. So nice to finally get to chat to you because I've been stalking you on Instagram for years (laughs) and you're at home with beautiful Hunter and Goldie and you're a busy working mama um, with multiple successful businesses. So we so appreciate you taking the time. I am so excited to deep dive into picking a brain on all things IVF, miscarriages, you know, learning to advocate for yourself, endometriosis, HG or hyperemesis gravidarum, premature birth. We are literally going to try and talk about as many (laughs) of these (laughs) things as we possibly can in a half hour time slot. So let's get started. Let's start with your fertility journey and your decision, your decision to start trying for baby number one. Um, What did that look like? And what was the beginning of the journey like? Oh gosh, it's so long ago. I think it was just something that we didn't really make a conscious effort to start conception. But then after our first miscarriage, it was kind of something that just ingrained in me going, okay, this is what I really need to focus on. I want to become a mum. And then it just over the course of two and a half years, it was just, I think until you're in it, you don't understand how hard it is to actually achieve you know fertility and to achieve conception if you've got something that you're predisposed to like infertility it's something that just completely rocks your world I think I compared myself to my mother who is a mum of four she had two children on the IUD wow super fertility (laughs) (laughs) super fertile so I was almost like okay how do I not get pregnant to start with and then obviously once I decided that I wanted to have a baby and then in you know in hindsight maybe all of that conception um the contraception that I was trying to implement was probably useless but yeah it's just I likened myself just to my mum because it was all I really had to go on yeah and it quite often is the question that the doctors ask what about your sister what about your mother you know all those kinds yeah. of things so that's what you get yeah. your fertility off so you decided that you you were ready to start trying for hunter how long were you trying for 
uh, two and a half years until we fell pregnant with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And during that time, it was that, um, did you go through IVF? Was it a natural conception? Yeah. So we had six losses before I went to go to IVF. And after the third loss, I just kept on hearing, oh, it's normal. You know, there's no need for us to investigate. I went to so many fertility specialists and they're like, we don't know why this is happening. And I had uh, what you call a heterotopic pregnancy. So it's a dual pregnancy. So one that was in a different place. So for me, it was an ectopic pregnancy and then a uterine pregnancy. And I ended up miscarrying and having an ectopic pregnancy. So a double whammy pretty much. Um, And after that, I was like, this is just not normal. I mean, I went through four weeks of going up to the hospital saying, I'm in pain. I've had miscarriages before. I've got shoulder tip pain. I've got, you know, all of these symptoms that sound like an ectopic pregnancy, but you've confirmed a miscarriage. So what's going on? And I kept on saying, I've got an ectopic pregnancy. And they're like, well, no, because you've had a miscarriage, you know, go home. And to the point where they told my partner to probably try to push for me to go see a psychologist because it was very much like, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. It was once I started pushing, I said, I need to go get a scan. I'm not leaving here until I get a scan. And they said, no, we're too booked. We're too busy. No scan needed. It's probably just an infection. And I said, I'm not leaving here until you at least go write me a referral to go get a scan at somewhere and I'll pay for it. And I was sitting in the room and the sonographer's face just went white. And she's like, I'll be back in a minute and came back with the doctor and they still didn't say anything. He was giving me a big scan and I just was conditioned to think there's nothing wrong with me. And it wasn't until they then came back in the room. They're like, we've just caught the ambulance. Um, we've just we've just spoken to the hospital. We can either call you an ambulance or you can go up there straight away. What would you prefer? And I'm like, what for? And then they're like, you've got blood in your abdomen. We think this is, um, you know, not just a miscarriage. And so after that, I was just like, okay, no one's truly going to listen to me. No one is actually going to know exactly what's wrong until I push for it. And that was kind of the start of me really advocating for myself. And I picked up my phone before that and started documenting the miscarriage because I didn't know, like the amount of things that I Googled about, you know, is this normal? I'm just on Panadol, but it's really, really painful And I thought, if I can't find these answers, no one else can. And so I started documenting the miscarriage, which then turned into the heterotopic pregnancy. And I spoke about it online. And I remember my partner coming down and he watched the stories and he's like, what have you done? And he's like, no one wants to know about this. And I'm like, no, I need to talk about it. And he's like, okay. And I said, if, you know, I don't feel right in 10, 15 minutes, I'll remove it and I'll take it down. And he was just like, I just don't, you know, are you sure you want to be that personal and tell people about your story? And I'm like, yeah, I think I do. And he's like, okay, whatever you decide, like, you know, that's fine. I support you. And within five minutes, I was just flooded with messages. And it really just was that moment where I was like, you know what, this is just, this is what I'm here for to talk about this. Yeah, and that's so incredibly brave of you to share. I'm sure it didn't come easily, that initial kind of, you know, 
being raw and real online and sharing that kind of stuff. But yeah, there are so many women that suffer in silence, usually miscarriage. So it's so important that we talk about it more. Um, And for those that are looking for more resources, Pink Elephants is fantastic. If anyone's looking for a resource to support them through a miscarriage or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So with the ectopic pregnancy, it really just goes to show, you know, that instinct, right? Like you knew something was not right. The doctors yep. kept palming you off and not believing you. Um, what what happened next? You go into the hospital. Finally, oh, yeah, <laughs> you're being heard the hospital and taken seriously. And the difference between me going into the hospital complaining about pain, and I've since found that endo pain is very much gaslighted too, but. I went in, you know, for four weeks going up to the hospital saying something's not right. And they're like, no, you know, you're fine, you're fine, you know, go take Tonadol. And then I walk in after having the scan and there were like five, ten doctors waiting for me. They had a bed ready. They were like, okay, we're going to rush you in for emergency surgery. Um, And it was very different. And I think once I could see that there was something medically wrong with me, it was very much a different tune. And I kind of was taken back and still in the back of my head, I was like, oh, maybe it's just a ruptured cyst that's causing blood, you know. They've said I'm not pregnant still. They've said it wouldn't be an ectopic. So, you know, what are the chances? And then, lo and behold, it was an ectopic pregnancy. And so, yeah, that was pretty intense. And I was obviously not ready for having surgery. Yeah. And what was the outcome of the surgery? They removed, they obviously removed the ectopic pregnancy, but what else yeah. resulted? So they removed my left fallopian tube or what I believed they hadn't removed my left fallopian tube. I have since found out that they didn't perform the surgery. Uh, I'm not going to say correctly because they removed the ectopic pregnancy, but it wasn't done to the highest standard that you are normally expected. So they left a stump of my fallopian tube, which then went on to cause me significant adhesion pains. So my ovary in within about three to four months, I started having chronic pain and I just, I felt so unwell. I started having significant bloating um, and having like every single time I'd get my period, I'd be having excruciating pain to the point where I'd just be on opioids because I just couldn't function. And they found that my ovary was stuck to my uterus as a result of adhesions from the surgery. So, you know, it was quite annoying for me to go through that because the solution for an ectopic pregnancy normally when um, diagnosed early is not surgery. It's called um, taking a drug called methotrexate. And so that's where it can help the, the, the retained, you know, baby to pass through your fallopian tube and pass through and so I was like you know quite disgruntled against the hospital and I understand you know significant shortage in staffing and so forth which led to the misdiagnosis but um yeah I ended up going to a different uh, going to a surgeon and a fertility specialist and say I'm still not falling pregnant um and I'm in chronic pain how can you help yeah fallopian tube down in chronic pain. Yeah. Yep. 
not not an ideal fertility situation. Yeah. How are you feeling in those moments, like in that space and time? Was it, were you like, yep, we've got to keep trying or were you yeah. just, yeah, yeah, you somehow found the will to ke- keep trying? Yeah, I think that and it, after speaking to so many people that go through infertility and loss and trying to conceive, it's literally all you think about. My whole world was consumed by falling pregnant and by, you know, ovulation and all of that sort of stuff for two and a half years. And it's it's just crazy as I look back because it was literally all I could fixate on. I focused on that in my personal life and I focused on work. And I would often find myself just sitting at my desk, just, you know, thinking about why aren't I pregnant, getting triggered by people at the supermarket, getting triggered at pregnancy announcements. It's just all I could think about. And we ended up having six losses in total before we went down the route of IVF. And, you know, it's probably, it was six losses too many. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And that trying fatigue. Yeah. Did you run into the fatigue of trying? Absolutely. I mean, my partner will probably kill me, but our, you know, we're four years on now and our sex life is horrible. It's, well, it's non-existent. It's completely ruined by us trying to conceive. And, you know, it's all, it, we took the, the romance out of it because it was all I wanted. It was an outcome and it's, it's been really hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an all too common story. You take yeah. something that's, you know, both pleasurable but also serves a function and it just completely yeah. messes things up. So you decided to try IVF. How did yes. you we- choose your IVF doctor? What did that look like? Yeah, so we ended up I ended up doing surgery again. Um to and I just thought we were fixing the adhesions, removing the adhesions and in surgery so i was very much like okay well let's just clean me all up make sure that there's nothing impacting implantation impacting you know like keeping a baby um and so we ended up having surgery and they sit down stage four endo which was a bit of a huge shock to me because i had no real endo signs until the ectopic pregnant or the heterotopic pregnancy and um I thought that that was the solution for why or the reason why we weren't falling pregnant. And then we went and had another loss. So that was the sixth in total. And so along this sort of timeline, I went to one specialist and he said, oh, I'll refer you to the surgeon because, you know, let's clean you up. And so that was the surgeon that did the surgery. And then after that loss, after the surgery, I was like, enough. I need to go back to the drawing board. I need to go to another fertility specialist because I still don't have a solution. And I pretty much said to him, I need to be tested for everything under the sun. Retest me for everything that you've got on your paperwork because this isn't normal and I need an answer because I'm not going into IVF without an answer. And then, you know, it was very much like, well, the reason why a lot of people go into IVF is because it's unexplained infertility. And so I had to sort of come to terms with that. And we were still going to go into IVF, even if we didn't have an answer. And, um, yeah, I got a call from him. I still remember I was sitting on the stairwells when he called me up in my 
um, in my home and my dogs were sitting on my lap and he's like, I think um, we've just, we've had some of your results come back and it's saying that you've got a genetic blood clotting condition. Like, were you aware of this? And my whole body just started shaking. I'm like, no, can you tell me a little bit more about this? And he's saying, look, it could impact implantation. You're at high risk of stillbirths. Um, you know, I've got a hematologist that you can that I can recommend. Um, you know, in my opinion, this could be a reason why you're not falling pregnant or you're not keeping the pregnancies um, past a certain week gestation. And I just remember getting off the phone and just breaking down in tears because I asked him, I said, well, how come I haven't been tested for this before? And he said, I don't know, you should have been. And my whole world just like completely rocked. I was happy because I had an answer, but I was sad and annoyed and angry because no one had tested me for this before. How frustrating. But also you kept advocating for yourself. You knew something wasn't right. And you found yep. what it was, which yep. is amazing. And I still, and I still wasn't happy with the fertility specialist. I felt like this just wasn't something that clicked. And so I had another fertility specialist that I had been on the wait list for for ages, and I finally had a um, finally got a cancellation. And so as soon as I met her, because this is in the middle of COVID too, so mm-hmm. really do face to face. And as soon as I met her, I was just like, "You're my person." you're going to get me pregnant. And then, yeah, it was the start of IVF journey with her. Yeah, wow. So in terms of um, the genetic blood clotting uh, issue, what did that mean for your pregnancies? Was there anything that you had to do differently? How was it treated? Yeah, so it's called factor V leaden or factor V leaden. Um, and so my hematologist put me on a bit of a protocol, which was blood thinners and baby aspirin. Um, so my blood thinners were done um, not after I'd fall pregnant, but dur- uh, before I'd fall pregnant, so during implantation. Yeah. Okay. So you went into – were you halfway th- – so you had you retrieved embryos with your first doctor and then you moved to your second doctor no. – no, so no. you did a f- no. all your egg retrieval and everything with your second female IVF specialist. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. the batch of eggs that Hunter came from. Hunter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I just assumed that I would get lots of embryos, lots of eggs, and for us, I and I would never. I'd never really been told I had a low egg reserve, but my body just responded the way it did to the um, the drugs and the medicine. And I think we got something like five five eggs collected. So I was so upset and distraught because, you know, I had multiple friends get, you know, 10, 15 eggs. And I think we got four fertilised and then two embryos. And one of those embryos is Hunter. Well, it, yeah, is Hunter. Yeah. And were they – so you still had your left ovary intact. So were they able to retrieve eggs from that ovary on the ectopic side as well? Yeah, great. Awesome. So you had two functioning ovaries. Awesome. 
This podcast is sponsored by Ears Fertility. Ears Fertility has set a new standard for nutraceuticals for reproductive health. They are leading the way with their science-led formulations. But don't just take our word for it. Make sure you learn more by hitting the link in our show notes. What's egg retrieval like? I'm curious. I struggled so much with egg retrieval. I was not expecting it to be as painful. Um, I'd had surgery pretty close and they found a chocolate cyst on my right ovary. So I, yeah, I took, it took me a good week to recover from egg retrieval. Yeah, I think it is such a, um, what's the word? I can't think of the word, but sort of under-acknowledged uh, procedure. Like they say, oh, you know, you're in and out. But I don't know if you've been listening to the retrievals. There's a new podcast um, done by the New York Times. Some of the stories, you probably don't even want to go there and listen to it, but some no. of the stories oh, are Oh, my gosh, actually, yes. Yes, my friend Leah put, up, put that up the other day and I was like, oh, my God, I'm not listening to that. Yeah, it's probably something you don't want to visit. But if other people are, you know, interested in egg retrieval yeah. this was a this was a worst case scenario egg retrieval story that yeah. they're telling but anyway uh, embryo transfer that then turned into hunter yeah early pregnancy how how did you cope with the anxieties of the previous miscarriages and what kind of got you through all of that or nothing, helped nothing nothing yeah nothing nothing I'm sure with it would have been horrendous was, yeah with Hunter's pregnancy I was I was very much so, I was so guarded like even until after his birth I didn't really refer to him with his name for weeks I just call him baby the baby um it was really interesting to see how I handled the whole pregnancy I mean I was so I was I had HG with him um and I sort of just thought it was pretty normal to be vomiting, you know, five to ten times a day. And then it got to like 23 weeks pregnant and I was like, this isn't normal. Um, again, I kept on referring to my mum's pregnancy who was pretty sick up until 16 weeks with all of us. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, it'll end soon. And then it didn't. And then, yeah, I don't know. I really struggled with the anxiety. I mean, going to the toilet every single mm. time would just be excruciating in terms of just like that mental overload yeah, the all fear. the time. Yeah, yeah. It did get better once I started feeling him kicking. Um, yeah. But the fear of the unknown, the fear of loss, especially being a high-risk pregnancy with the blood clotting condition, I was a wreck. And I saw my OB so many times, which is a stark difference to Goldie's pregnancy. Um, I mean, I was going down towards the end like every week and just being like, can you please check? No, let's just check his heart rate. It was just a very anxious pregnancy in terms of, you know, the baby. Yeah. And making sure that he was okay. But, um, yeah, very different pregnancy with Goldie. Yeah. Yeah, second time yep. round. I hope you had the ability to kind of be present and in the moment. But I know you had HG as well with Goldie. Is that yeah, right? With Goldie, yeah. I. It's funny because I look at Hunter's pregnancy and I think it was so much easier than my pregnancy with Goldie. But I had different different challenges. I had really bad pelvic girdle pain with Hunter, and I could barely walk, and I was in a brace uh, support brace band from like eighteen weeks with him. 
um, and still very, very unwell, still vomiting, still 24-7 nauseous. But with Goldie's pregnancy, I was vomiting up to 40 times a day, 30, 40 times a day. I was hospitalised significantly more than Hunter. I was on drips, IVs, getting regularly monitored, pretty much bed-bound for four or five months. And it was and just so horrible. With, so when did the HG kick in? Is it as soon as you're pregnant that you found that the HG kicked in or was it different for both pregnancies? I think with Hunter it really kind of kicked in around like the six to seven weeks marks but I was just treating that like morning sickness so I was like oh this is great healthy baby and remember my OB sort of saying oh embrace the sickness it's great and so my partner the whole way through the pregnancy would be like embrace it babe and I'm like do you want to be killed right now (laughs) but yeah with Goldie when as soon as I fell pregnant I pretty much made a mad dash down to Melbourne because I had to meet with a few of my retailers for my businesses and just be like I'm going to be offline for eight months. So, you know, or like I'm going to hopefully be functioning, but if you don't hear from me, this is why. And so I went down, did some store visits, and it was very much like a mad dash to sort of wrap things up. And, yeah, from about five and a half, six weeks pregnant, it was when it really hit me. But I probably got significantly worse throughout the pregnancy, and I don't know if that's because – I was just so exhausted and so fatigued in my body. You know, I was coughing up blood and vomiting up blood by the end of it. I broke ribs from vomiting so much I would, because it was my second birth or second baby that I'd carried past second trimester. My pelvic floor was ruined. I would wet myself all the time. It was just a really dark, isolating, hor- horrific experience. I bet you've really been through it all, Kira. <laughs> yeah. It's For sound... someone that really wants to be pregnant, being pregnant yeah. is not fun. <laughs> it, I'm, I'm guessing it's bittersweet, right? Like, yes, you're pregnant. It's exciting. It's happening. It's what you wanted. But then you've got this horrible sickness that you suffer with for eight months until you give birth. Yeah. 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 And with Goldie, I ended up pushing to get um, an induction earlier because I was just I was done yeah I just couldn't mentally I mean I was in such a dark headspace and people would be like how do we help you and I'm just like just get me to the finish line just get me let me have my baby yeah <laughs> let me have and my there's baby no, early please there's no perfect treatment for HG is there like there's no, perfect, no. there's a cocktail of medications that you can try yeah. that they may or may not work. Yeah. I know Amy yeah. Schumer did a skit on her um, net, new Netflix series. I think it's called Emergency Contact. And she said, yeah, yeah, it's just something that we haven't studied because it's something that only affects women. It's just yeah. like. Yeah. Yeah. Because no men have had it. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, <laughs> for some people they get, they can be medicated and it works. So steroids are really successful for some people for me steroids just made me an anxious ball of mess and I couldn't sleep and yeah steroids did not agree with me but I did find a bit of a sweet spot with a cocktail of medication but um towards the end of it nothing nothing was working and it was so hard because probably one of the biggest mental things that I struggled with was not being present for Hunter And I think that's why I look at Hunter's pregnancy so much easier than I did at Goldie's because it was just me and I just could sleep. I could log in whenever I needed to. 
we didn't have any staff. I only had one staff and she was kind of working when I'd be working. And with this pregnancy, I had a toddler. He was one and a bit. And I pretty much have really missed like eight months of his life. And it's really hard to to look back at photos and I was looking at photos before I started IVF and with Hunter when I did IVF and I gave him the pregnancy test and he's just such a baby and now I look at him and he's such a boy and I really mourned that loss Mm. of that connection and that being present in that moment and I think that's probably what I've struggled with in my postpartum period the most is just missing my boy and not being there for his, you know, for essentially eight, nine months of his life. Yeah. Yeah. It must be so hard. I can't, I can't even imagine. Um, I want to go back to Goldie's conception. Was it easier yeah. the second time around to conceive? <laughs> so we did IVF again. Um, we, I tried to replicate everything that we did with Hunter because we were really fortunate that we fell pregnant the first round of IVF and I know how fortunate we are because I know that that's not a common thing. Um, And I think that my friend Rachel, who's done nine, 10 rounds of IVF, she really instilled with me that the first round of IVF is a tester. You don't know how your body's going to respond. You don't know, you know, how many eggs you're going to get. You just don't know. And so it's very much a test round. And so I think she really conditioned me to think, okay, this is a test round. So I wasn't, my expectations weren't as high. Going into Goldie's conception, I had endosurgery again because my endo came back horrifically. Um, after giving birth to Hunter, I got my period at eight weeks postpartum, even though we were exclusively breastfeeding him. We, I was exclusively <laughs> breastfeeding him. I love how <laughs> inclusive you are. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we, I had another endosurgery with a different surgeon who was actually my OB with Hunter and he was incredible and he just has got a radical approach to endo. So he thinks that I wasn't properly cleared out beforehand and I feel very confident with his surgery and his skills. Um, so, yeah, I had endosurgery. The first night I'd ever been away from Hunter was my endosurgery. Um, and then decided to do a full round of IVF, not just use one of the frozen embryos because we only have one from his round left. And we'd upped the medication so we could hopefully get more embryos and we ended up getting less embryos. Oh, no. So I know. I was was so shocked by the numbers. So we – and it goes to show you that you need – quality over quantity with your egg health. Um, So I ended up getting three eggs. They all got fertilized and they all made it to day five embryos. So we got three out of three, which is just. That's amazing. The embryologist was just like, this is unheard of. Were you doing egg quality stuff? Was there anything that you were specifically working on? The big. Um, acupuncture lover. Yeah. So very much working with a really skilled um, IVF acupuncturist and just trying to be healthy, trying to eat the right things and 
really trying to condition. I went on some sups and things like that to really make sure that I was getting enough you know, like fish oil and things like that. But it was just really, I think that you know, I had to get out of that numbers game and get into, okay, these are healthy, really great quality eggs. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I'm, I was, I literally called it. I said, okay, I'm not going to end up with any embryos after I got three written down on a piece of paper and you heard, I heard other people get, you know, 18 and 11 and 15 and 22. I was just like, this is just over. And I remember just crying in the um, hospital bay, just thinking I've just gone through all of this for nothing. And then, yeah, we had the day one to see if they'd fertilize the sperm and the egg fertilizing to make the start of the embryo. And, um, yeah, they're like, we got three out of three. This is great. All fertilized. And then day three, they're like, we've still got three going strong. And then day five was the transfer. And two of them weren't as good as the one that is now Goldie. So they're like, we'll just leave them to day six. And so those two weren't strong enough for testing, um, but we still got to freeze them. So now we've got three on ice. Do you think you'll go number three? I need to do a lot of recovery yeah, mentally 100%. and physically and have a much bigger gap for me to even entertain the idea. But yeah. I think that we will have a third. He's always wanted five kids and I think I, I settle for three and I'll keep him happy. Yeah, well, maybe I also can... do think that there is another third little soul out there. Yeah, that's so nice when you can feel it, when you know that's, yeah. yeah. But definitely yeah. give yourself some some time and space. I'm watching you on Instagram with all your sleep deprivation and I'm sort of, yeah. you know, <laughs> getting lots of throwbacks to that era in my yeah. life. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's very definitely. hectic and very busy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so my final question, and I know this is one that a lot of people are burning to ask you, how do you do it? Yeah. How, like, how's the juggle? How do you find the time to run these businesses and raise two children and breastfeed? And, I mean, you are remarkable. You also spend a lot of time advocating for people trying to conceive with miscarriage, people going through HG. You're so generous with your time and sharing your story. How the hell do you do it? <laughs> no, I feel like I'm very much, I've put a lot on my plate. I mean, we launched Habitual Beauty during Hunter's pre Well, a week after Hunter was born because he was a preemie baby. He was the shock of my life coming um, at 36 weeks. Uh, and then I think that, I'm just really led by passion. So we launched a new business called Hydra Mama, which is a hydration drink that has got, you know, folate or methylated folate. It's got B6 for nausea and vitamin C and it's an electrolyte drink. And everything that I try and do on the business front is very much from my own needs. So, you know, I really think that I'm led by my passion and my drive to help others because I couldn't find something the amount of times that I would drink hydrolyte during Hunter's pregnancy and then vomit that up and I knew that I needed to create something that I could actually drink for my own benefit and then for other people's benefits but you know I feel like I don't have my shit together all the time I'm tired all the time I just really try and put you know my phone down as soon as you know well 
at the moment I'm not back at work full time. I'm very much sporadic whenever Goldie's sleeping. But outside of when I'm in a mat leave sort of position, just try and be present for my kids when I can and try and be present for work when I can and hope for the best. Yeah. I mean, you're such an inspiration for all of us mums and all of those trying to conceive in terms of, you know, working and just doing your best. Um, so thank you so much, Kira, for sharing your time and your journey um, to becoming a mum on the Up the Duff podcast. For those that want to know more about Hydra Mama, crumbled foods, habitual beauty, um, and also to follow Kira on Instagram, we're going to put the links to those in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Up The Duff podcast. We hope that this episode provoked some inspiration. Keep up to date with all things Up The Duff by hitting the subscribe button. And just a heads up, by request, we've started a Facebook group so we can continue the conversation over there. You can find the link in the show notes. Don't be shy. Leave us a review. And if you have a topic, question or expert that you would like us to interview, please slide into our DMs. You'll find all the links to our social pages in the show notes.